0: of the Lord for a minute as we uh, connect with the word this morning. I just want to pray for us. I feel we've been out of a message series for the summer, and one of the things that um, I'm enjoying about that is I, I get an opportunity to just pray into every week what the Lord wants to speak to us through his word and what he wants to do in our church. And I really feel like we're in a season, there's just kind of an overarching theme that God keeps putting on my heart, these messages to share about the love of the Father. About the love of the Father for his people, for you and for me. And through that love, the power of that love, how it breaks off things, it breaks off shame, it breaks off the power of the past. It breaks off weariness and it restores our soul. So as I get into the message this morning, um, I come with that posture, that I believe that God is wanting to do something in his church. He's wanting to bring healing and wholeness to his people. That he's done with the enemy stealing what God gave you, your right as a son or as a daughter of the most high God the purpose, the destiny, the calling, the health of your marriages, the health of your families, that he's tired of his people walking around in sickness and disease, that he's tired of his people walking around carrying secrets and shame that comes along with those secrets, that it's high time that we start walking in the freedom and in the fullness of everything that Jesus paid the price for on the cross. And so I know that This service may be a little bit different. Even our time of worship might even be a little bit different for you because I I believe that God is doing something different. He's doing something different on the earth right now because he's preparing his people for the fullness of everything that he has. And he's preparing his church to be his hands and feet to a world that is dying, is hopeless and in despair, in desperate need of hope. So we're calling this whole series this summer, the non-series series, series, Summer of Hope. So this morning to you, I wanna read to you um, a passage of scripture out of 2 Samuel chapter nine. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm gonna read the word to you and then we're gonna pray and see what the Lord would speak to us this morning. I believe God has something specific for you that through his word and through this story that we're going to see this morning, the story of this man who had been forgotten, who'd been left behind. And I hope this has encouraged some of us who feel like we don't know where God is, we feel distant from God. You could be in the middle of a service like this and you could inside feel lonely, feel isolated. You could be in anxiety and fear. And you could feel like God hasn't spoken to you. Maybe God hasn't spoken to some of you in a long time. And today, this passage of Scripture is going to encourage you that even though you may feel like you've been in that place, that today is the day that God calls you out of that place and He invites you to come to His table. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Last week, I I had you stand to read because I had one verse for you. This week, I have one chapter for you. Are you ready for it? And David asked, "Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake?" And now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. And they summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, "Are you Ziba?" "At your service," he replied. And the king asked, "Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul?" to whom I can show God's kindness. And Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan, and he is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. And Ziba answered, he's at the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And so King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Maker, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to david he bowed down to pay him honor david said mephibosheth at your service he replied do not be afraid for i will surely show you the kindness and sake of your father jonathan for the sake of your father jonathan and i will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather saul and you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth <laughs> bowed down. Try to say that three times fast. I'm, I'm working on it here. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my Lord commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son named Mekah. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both his feet. Would you pray with me? I want you to do something. I want you to put your hand on your heart. Father, right now, we just invite your presence to come. God, I thank you for this story that's more than a story. It's history. It's your story. It's your story of your love for your people, for all people, but especially for those that are broken, that are weak, that are isolated and in need of grace. Today, Father, I pray that your word would go deep within us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that the depth of this word and not just the depth of the word, but the depth of your love would impact us and would change us to be more like your son, Jesus. God, we give you this time. I ask that you would anoint me to not just preach your word, but to preach your heart. Holy Spirit, would you change us today? I pray that we would leave different than when we came in because we've come to your table. We just invite you now. Come, have your way. Do what you want to do. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Come on. Can we give it up for our worship team? Thank you. Guys are amazing. I just want to let you know that um, during the summer, it's easy to just get disconnected from church and disconnected from people and God works in community. He works through people to touch our lives. And so during the summer, I just want to encourage, we have uh, several different groups that are meeting. And maybe when you came in this morning, you received one of these uh, papers. And on here, there lists several things. We have two ways to that uh, you can stay connected in community this summer. Number one, on Wednesday nights, when we have our, our youth ministry, our youth night on Wednesday nights, we got any youth, Hope Youth in the house? Oh, wow. We got, we got one. I'm not even sure if they're a youth, but they just, they just gave a shout-out anyway. Any Hope Youth in the house? Man, you guys need some fire in you or something. Somebody pray for our youth. But uh, on Wednesday nights, we got uh, Hope Youth Ministries happening, and we have something called The Hub. The Hub, we have several different classes. We have child care for you and uh, things like play pickleball with Mike Welty. Come on, that's awesome. Who doesn't love pickleball? So bring your pickleball, I don't know, like paddle, is that what it is? Bring your pickleball paddle, play, pickleball. We got prepare to share Jesus with Mike and Sonny Levine, recognizing God's love with Scott and Amy Goodwin, sister friends, our widows gathering with Joyce Rao, a study in the book of James for all you hardcore Bible studyers, and reaching those with special needs. I believe that God is doing something in and through Hope Church in the area of special needs. And then also, um, you can go to one of our connect groups. Our connect groups meet in people's homes all throughout the week. And here's a simple way to describe it. Um, you can get out your phone. For those of you who are technically challenged, you're wondering what this little weird looking box is, take out your camera Don't take a picture of it, Pastor David, but put your camera up to it. And when the little yellow box pops up, you press on the yellow box and it will take you to our website. You can sign up for one of these amazing groups. Amen? Amen, Amen. all right. The the title of my message to you this morning is called, Come to the Table. It's really a simple message. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, have enjoyed the fruits of the, the real estate market here, but over in the last year, my wife and I sold our house that we lived in for 15 years that we raised our five kids in. And although uh, we enjoyed selling our house, we felt called to sell the house. It was, how many of you know, it's emotionally hard when you sell a house? 15 years of living in that house. And I remember when we were moving stuff out of the house, One of the little debates my wife and I have, by the way, moving is good for purging, isn't it? Man, you realize how much junk and stuff you accumulate that you really don't need over the years when you sell a house and when you move. And um, one of the things that my wife and I were trying to decide on in that move is our kitchen table. So our kitchen table, we've had, we actually bought the table when we first moved into the house back in 2005 or whenever it was, and we were debating because the table's worn. In fact, there's like a little, it's not flat anymore. There's like, it it bends a little bit in the middle. The the stain is kind of worn off the top of it. I think one of my kids engraved their initials on the table. You know, there's marks from like kids doing crafts and just all the things that, that come over time of gathering around the table. And I was thinking about the significance of the table. I was thinking about, for a minute, I was thinking about all the memories around that table. All the times that we gathered around that table as a family to share a meal together. I remember the times that we would gather around the table and open the Word of God and we would teach our kids. I remember the fact that we celebrated actually our, our fifth son being born in that house and celebrating his birth at that table with food and family. I remember praying at that table. I remember celebrating birthdays and anniversaries and holidays where we would gather around that table over Thanksgiving and have a feast similar to this around and give thanks to God together as a family around that table. I remember inviting friends to join us at that table. I remember the good times that we had around that table. I remember that uh, oftentimes when we would have a meal or we would have some dessert with the kids if there was like a last cookie or a last brownie left and all the kids of course wanted that last cookie or last brownie so what we would do is we made them here's the deal if you want the last brownie or last cookie whoever reenacts the best scene from nacho libre gets to have that brownie (laughs) or that cookie and i remember times just like crying around that table because i was laughing so hard at something one of my kids was doing or a joke that they would make, and yet I also remember times where there was hard conversations around that table, tough decisions. I remember tears that fell on that table. And through the years, that table had worn, but, but the table was, represents the place of relationship. It's the place where we gather and we know and are known. It's the place where we can let down our hair, so to speak, throw on our sweats, and be ourselves. It's one of the things I love about coming to the table. See, the the table that God invites us to, just like the king of kings invited this man who was forgotten about. He invited this man who was broken, that was uh, disabled, that was lame, That couldn't walk to the table himself. Actually, he had to be carried. And what's so interesting to me about this story, it's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, because I think it shows the heart of God, you know, that that God called David a man after his own heart. And I believe that it was God's heart that was in David that said, is there anyone that I can show kindness to? And, And here's this man who had been forgotten about. Actually, the backstory in, in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, it tells you a little bit more about how this man got to his condition. Do you know that you can never look at somebody and know the things they've gone through in their life? I, I wonder how many of you here today can relate to a man like Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, the firstborn to King Saul. King Saul and Jonathan were in battle, and they died. Now, this firstborn son of Jonathan was heir to the throne. He someday, his destiny was to take over the throne of Israel someday and to be king himself. And yet, when his father uh, and grandfather Saul died in battle, the very first thing that happens when a king is overthrown and is killed is The king that is coming in to take over the kingdom, the very first thing they do is they take out any heirs or potential heirs to the throne. So, by all means, Mephibosheth should have been killed by King David. He was his enemy, he represented a threat to him. Yet, we don't see that happen. So, how is it that this man, Mephibosheth, even survived and didn't get killed himself? He's the only one left. 2 Samuel 9, chapter 4, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, gives us some insight. It gives us the backstory of how this man got in that condition. It says that when word got back to the palace that King Saul and Jonathan had gone down in battle, that his nurse, Mephibosheth, he was five years old, his nurse picked him up to carry him out to safety. And in her haste, trying to get him out quickly to save his life, she accidentally drops him. And she drops him on his feet, and he becomes lame in both his feet. Because his legs were broken, and they weren't able to set him right, he was was maimed, he was lame, he was disfigured, and he was unable to walk. And yet here is David, when this man should have been his enemy, and yet David says, is there anyone left? in the line and lineage of Saul and Jonathan that I could show kindness to. I love this story because it reminds me that all of us, at one time or not, and some of us maybe even still in this room, that we feel distant, inaliated, isolated from God and we are broken and we are weak. And yet God says, I want to show kindness to you. I want to show my love and acceptance to you. And so the king invites him to be a part of his family his king invites him to come and dine at the table like one of his very own sons so i have a couple things that i believe that we can glean from this story this morning and the first one is this that when we come to the table there's acceptance at the table that god accepts us I love how David just invited him to the table. Do you know that back in a Jewish custom, that anybody that was disabled was deemed unclean? And not only did David represent the king and the kingdom, but David represented the very heart of God. He represented the priesthood. So David, what I love about David is, is David was both king and priest of Israel. And as a priest, You wouldn't go near somebody who was unclean. You wouldn't go near somebody who was disabled. They would not be welcome in the presence of the king. Yet my king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to look for those who are broken. Jesus himself said, I didn't come. For those who are healthy, I came for those who are sick. I came from those who understand that they are broken, that they are sinners, that they are weak and in desperate need of the King of kings and the Lord of lords to reach out and invite them to come and sit at the table. See, there's something about the table. Then when we sit at the table, I get close to somebody. You now I was sharing with first service that my wife and I have been married for 26 years. I can't believe she's still with me. <laughs> but after 26 years, you know one of the most beautiful things about marriage and it's a picture of our relationship with God and the church is that after 26 years she knows all my flaws. She sees my weaknesses and she still invites me to the table in relationship. See, when Mephibosheth came to the table, the king didn't see his lame feet. See, his weakness and disability was covered under the table. Above the table, he just sees a son. He just sees a daughter whom he loves and whom he accepts. And under the table is his weakness. Under the table is his sin, and it's covered under the table. When we come to the table, it's covered under the blood of Jesus. This is a picture of atonement. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, your sin and my sin are covered so that when we come to the table, when we come into relationship with God, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see our weakness, he looks into the perfect eyes of Jesus because we've been covered by the blood of Jesus. In just a little while, at the end of the service, we're going to take communion together. The table represents the place of communion. It's the place where we can be ourselves, where we can be known and, and be known and we can know. I was... Um, I was remembering when I was young and my parents divorced when I was two and my father remarried and we did the, uh, you know, pick up and go visit every other week thing. And it was a little bit awkward for me to go to my father's house because I felt like I didn't, I didn't really know my dad. And when my dad remarried, my stepmother, um, we have a good relationship now, by the way, but back then she didn't really like me. I think I represented, you know, my father's former life, former marriage. And so I remember coming to the dinner table and my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, my stepmother would sit at one end and she would put me on this end and my dad would be sitting over here. And I remember I felt so uncomfortable coming to the table. And I would be nervous coming to the table, I was afraid to sit there because when I would sit there and eat, I kept my head down and just would eat quickly because if I looked up, she would be staring at me. And if I caught her eyes, she'd yell at me and say, what are you looking at? And it would make me really nervous, so I would start kicking the table under the table and then she would yell at me for kicking the table. And I remember I hated coming to the table. I never felt comfortable coming to the table. I felt like I was under a microscope When I would come at the table, I wasn't welcome at the table. But I'll never forget, there was one day, one night, when I was at the table. And my mother, my stepmother, was staring at me, and she yelled at me. And I remember that day, my father had enough, and he pushed himself back from the table. And he said, enough. He said, this is my son, and you've got to deal with that. And I'll never forget that. Something shifted, changed in my heart that day where I felt like my dad accepted me at the table and there was something that shifted in my heart. It was just, I wonder how many of us today will recognize that God is standing up for you saying, this is my son, this is my daughter and you are accepted, you are loved. You see, Mephibosheth's name actually means mouth of shame. Mouth of shame. What oftentimes keeps us from coming to the table in relationship with God is that the mouth of shame wants to tell you you don't deserve to come to the table. You're not welcome at the table. You're not invited to the table. You're too weak to come to the table. This is what this is. A a beautiful picture of the church. That's why I love this church. I love pastoring this church because this is a safe place where you're welcome to come to the table to worship God just like we did this morning. And you don't have to come wearing a mask, you don't have to come pretending. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to come to the table with your brokenness, with your sin, with your shame because you leave different when you get up from that table. I'm not the same. When I come to the table, different because I've been accepted. I don't know how many of you ever heard um, the story of the elephant man. There was a movie years ago made about this man who, uh, in the mid 1800s in England, he, he was born with a, a lot of birth defects. So much to the point where his, his head was the size of the average man's waist, one arm was bigger than the other. Um, yeah, it was, in fact, these uh, uh, people that owned a circus, they, they heard about this man, and they brought him, and they, what they did is they put him in this show called The Freak Show. And people would pay to come in to see The Freak Show. And they would come in and see this man, and they would gasp in horror when the curtains would would roll away. And there was this doctor, Dr. Treves, one time... He went to see the show, and he saw this man, and there was something in his heart that broke for this man, that wanted to help this man. There was kindness in his heart. And so after, he went to talk to him, and he could barely understand him because his mouth was so disfigured he could barely talk. But he gave him his his card. He said, if you want some help, you call me, and I'll help you. So it was about a year later, he gets a call from the police. The police said, hey, we, we found this man. We picked him up. He was in a dark corner of the street, curled up in a, in a ball, just bawling and shivering. And he said, all we could find on him is your card. And so we're calling you to see if you know this man. And he says, yeah, I know him. Bring him, bring him to the hospital. And he brought him to this hospital, and he started to just work with him. And he told the nurse, in fact, the first time that a nurse went in to... Bring him some food, she dropped the plate of fruit and screamed in horror. And yet, over time, as they got to know him, and they continually would bring him food, they brought the table to him, so to speak. As they got to know him more and more, and and he got to know them, they started to see that behind the grotesque looking man was the soft, kind heart. And that this this man, he loved to read scripture. And yet one day there was a turning point in his life where in the beginning he was afraid of people, he would isolate, he would go up in the corner, and he was angry, he was bitter because of the way he'd been treated his whole life. And one day, the Dr. Treves told the nurse, said, I want you to do something kind for this man. So that day as she brought the food to him, She handed him the food, and instead of walking away or or turning away at the sight of catching his eyes, she looked him dead in the eye, and she smiled warmly at him. And tears began to roll down his eyes. And Dr. Treves, in his account of his diary, said that he cried like a baby for hours. But they weren't bad tears. They were tears of joy. They were healing tears because for the first time in his life, he actually felt seen and accepted by somebody. I wonder how many of us deep inside, we might come to church, we might go to a connect group, we might go to Bible study, we might go to work, we might actually come to the table, but we come with masks. We come pretending to be somebody else because we're really truly afraid to show people who we really are. This is actually why we need connect groups. This is why we need fellowship. In fact, I was uh, reading this book, uh, excellent book, by a medical uh, psychiatrist, medical doctor, and it's called The Soul of Shame. And he did a lot of research on shame. And what he found out is one of the ways that we break shame, and he's, he's a Christian, by the way, psychologist, he believes that one of the ways that we break shame and break the power of the mouth of shame is that we tell somebody else and let somebody in. We come to the table and we share with them our secrets. You know, there's a saying that our secrets make us sick. But for many of us, there's things that happened to us. We were abused when we were young. We we had a, a bad relationship. There was something that when we were a teenager that happened to us, there was an accident. There was, there was words that were spoken. There was wounds that disabled us and are affecting our walk with God because we don't feel accepted because nobody knows what happened to me. Nobody knows the real me. And so we, we pretend and we put on a happy face and a smile and we come to church, we go to work, we go to school and we pretend we're something that we're not. The table is a place where we can be accepted for who we really are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I remember for myself personally, there was something in my life that I'd been wrestling with since I was young. There was a sin in my life. And that sin was was keeping me in a place of hiding, just like this man Mephibosheth. He he was in a place of isolation. He was in in a a dark place. And yet God was inviting him in. and, And I was in a place like that. Probably one of the darkest seasons of my Christian life because there was this sin that, that kept messing with me. And I remember uh, one day this lady that was praying for me, uh, she called me up and she, she said, man, I was praying for you and I got this vision of you. She shared that vision with me and I knew exactly what God was saying. God was saying, you've got to get out of your place of isolation. You've got to open up and share what's going on with another man somebody you can confide in, somebody you can trust. And so um, I reached out to a couple of friends, and I said, hey, can we kind of get a a men's Bible study together? And we got together, and i never forget, at that very first meeting, at the end, we had a great meeting, good time of prayer, good time of reading Bible. I could have just left it at that. But I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit tell me, you need to share what's inside of you. You need to share it. And so with shame, all the while the mouth of shame was in my ear saying, you can't share that. You can't tell anybody about that. They're gonna look down on you. They're gonna lose respect for you. And yet I did it. I put it out there and I'll never forget that moment because when when I let it out of my mouth, when I shared it with somebody, it was like something broke in that moment. The mouth of shame was shut by the Lion of Judah. There was something that was broken in that moment. You know what was incredible about that moment? All of a sudden, we thought the Bible study was done. It was just getting started because other guys started opening up and sharing about secrets that they had been carrying. And as we did that one by one, man, the Holy Spirit started moving in that group. And that group that started with three or four guys turned to eight guys. Eight guys turned to sixteen guys. Sixteen guys turned to twenty-four guys. Because there was power in breaking the mouth of shame. Just like there was power when the king of kings called this king who represented the very kindness of God called him out of this place of shame and called him to his table and accepted him as one of his own sons. The second thing is this. We find fulfillment at the table. There is fulfillment at the table. I want to read to you a quote from Dan Allender. He says this, We don't come to the table to fight or to defend. We don't come to prove or to conquer, to draw lines in the sand or to stir up trouble. We come to the table because our hunger brings us there. See, the table represents the place where we find fulfillment. But for a lot of us, we are trying to find our fulfillment away from the table of God, away from the relationship with God. The table represents this place of intimacy with God where I come. I think it's interesting, God oftentimes, as a recurring theme in the Bible, uses the picture of a feast, of a table. Now think about even physically how God made, created human beings, that we thirst and We hunger. Think about physically, we eat three meals a day, and we drink a lot of water. We drink when we're thirsty. Your soul was made to hunger and thirst for the living God. In fact, God ordained feasts of the Lord. There's so many, read the Bible, there's so many feasts God ordained. He is the Lord of the feast. He's the Lord of the abundance, yet for many of us, we live like we're living off dregs. We're scraping the bottom, we barely make it to church. We're tired, we're worn out, and the table rents, uh, represents a place of rest and restoration. Mephibosheth was restored at the table. Remember, David said, I'm going to restore to you everything that was taken from you. How many of you are in here this morning and the devil has stolen things from you? That when you come to the table, God is going to restore what the devil stole. Come on, am I preaching to myself this morning? Or there's anybody in this room that there's things that the enemy stole from you, that when you come into the intimacy of relationship by coming continually, notice that he said he came to the table regularly. The word means continually came. Too many of us, we come and we 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 want fast food Christianity. We want to just we want to eat, get our fill, and okay, see you, Jesus. And we run ourselves dry until we're worn out, depleted, don't have anything left. God wants you to be fulfilled. There is no fulfillment in this life, man. How many of you, I'm speaking for me, but I try to find fulfillment apart from God outside in this world. And you know what it did? It left me dry, depleted, The, the... just like stomped on my dreams man the holy spirit just remind there there's some of you think about this man for a minute he should have been king think about how many times the enemy in the mouth of shame will get it you should have been this you could have done that oh if only this would have happened i would have done that and, and this could keep you locked in a and captive in a prison of shame that my life could, should have been more than this My marriage should have been better. I should have been a better mom, dad. Maybe my kids wouldn't be in the situation they're in. Maybe if I would have been a better friend, maybe if I I wouldn't have committed that sin, maybe if I wouldn't stay stuck in that place. Do you know what Lodabar means? I I love the Bible. And I love that there's meaning to everything in the Bible. It says that David called, in fact, he commanded, go bring me Mephibosheth. Go get me. Go fetch me, Mephibosheth. Go get him out of Lodabar. You know what Lodabar means? Lodabar literally means no pasture or no word, no communication. He was in this place where it was dry. It was thirsty. It was a dry, thirsty land. There was no pasture. That means there's nothing grows there. And yet he got comfortable in that place of no pasture. No word, nothing to fulfill him, nothing to sustain him. I wonder how many of us are getting comfortable not getting in the word of God, not getting fulfilled, not having the Holy Spirit be poured out like we sang earlier. The comfort zone is a nice place, but nothing good grows there. And too many, just like this, he got comfortable being in obscurity, he got comfortable being in isolation. This is what the pandemic, I think, messed with us in a big way, because for some of us, we got comfortable in isolation. We got comfortable putting our PJs on and our little fuzzy slippers and watching church online, and there's nothing wrong with watching church online. But there's something that happens when you come to church, you come to the table. There's a feast set for you at the table. There's fullness of joy in the presence of God. And when you come to the table, you're in the very presence of the king. You're in the very presence of God. I love that. We come to the table because hunger brings us there. We come with a need, with fragility, and with admission of our humanity. The table is the great equalizer, the level playing field many of us have been looking for everywhere. The table is the place where The doing stops, the trying stops, the masks are removed, and we allow ourselves to be nourished like children. We allow someone else to meet our need. In a world that prides people on not having needs, on going longer, faster, on going without, on powering through, the table is the place of safety and rest and humanity where we are allowed to be as fragile as we feel. It's the place of fulfillment. I'm filled at the table. Jesus had said himself, he said, on the last and greatest day of the feast, he said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. And I will give them rivers of living water that will flow out of them. Look, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You lead me to green pastures. Not a place, Lodabar, where there's no word, where there's no pasture. You lead me to green pastures. You lead me to quiet waters. You what? You restore my soul. I am fulfilled in the presence of God because I'm restored in the presence of God. I'm strengthened in the presence of God. David would say later in Psalm 34:8, he would say, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is something you have to experience. This is something I can't give you. I can't impart to you. I can't pray it for. You've got to accept the invitation to continually come to the table, to the place of fulfillment. So what does that look like, Pastor Lance? It looks like every time you come, and you sit with God, just be with God. Every time you give God some of your time, you pray. Think about no word. What happens at the table? Conversation happens at the table. Words are spoken, affirmation happens at the table. The word of God is a picture of the feast. That in it we are sustained, in it we are nourished, in it, we are replenished. The Word of God speaks to my identity. It, it restores my soul. It reminds me that I am. I am not. My past doesn't determine my future. That I don't identify. With my disability, my disability will not define me. My God will define me. The word of God will define Some of you I feel this morning just need a word from the Lord. You need some fresh word. You need some fresh manna. You need a word from God. You've been a appraised today. Tell somebody right now that you're coming out of Lodabar. You're coming out of that place of no word, of no pastor. Today's the day for somebody to get out of that place, to break the mouth of shame, and to get into the place where there's a fresh word spoken to you that sustains you, that fills you, that renew you, that restores your identity and your inheritance as a son or daughter of the Most High God, I'm coming back to the King's Table. I'm not staying in that place. I'm coming out of it. Come on, today's your coming out day. Coming out. I'm going to open up. I'm going to share with somebody. We're going to have our prayer team up here at the very end. And then maybe today's the day that you you share. I I remember doing something with men. And there was a man that came up afterwards and he said, I've never shared this in like 45 years. And as soon as he shared it, that power of shame, the mouth of shame, was broken over his life. Freedom came freedom. Freedom to be who God made him to be, to be accepted, to be fulfilled. And the last thing is this there's healing at the table. We are healed as we continually come to the table, the place of relationship. The place where I'm accepted time and time again, where I am loved as a son or daughter of the king. Where I find my fulfillment at the table. I'm healed little by little. Now listen, what was really cool and interesting to me at the same time is that In the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 9, when David asks, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I could show kindness to? Ziba doesn't even use his name. He says, yeah, there's a son of Jonathan that's still alive and he's lame in both his feet. Notice how he identified him by his dysfunction. Notice how he identified him by his disability. This is exactly what the mouth of shame wants to do. It wants you to stay in a place of no word, of no life, because you're identifying with your disability. But there's a place of healing. The word in the Greek that was used in the beginning for lame, check it out, if you guys could put it up. It's the word neka, it's the word neka. You know what it means? It means to not only be physically lame, it means that you're stricken, that you're contrite, that you're dejected. It doesn't, so let me paint the picture for you. Not only was Mephibosheth wounded and disabled, physically not able, he was lame in his legs, he was lame in his soul. He was dejected, he was contrite, he was disappointed maybe even a little bitter. Check this out. This is the coolest part of the whole story. At the end, of the last verse, verse 13, if you can put it up. And he says, it ends, the story ends with this, and Mephibosheth lived, he dwelt in the city of God. He dwelt in the house of the Lord where goodness and mercy followed him all the days of his life. He lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And watch this. And he was lame in both his feet. The word used for lame in verse 13 is different than the word used for lame. Now it just means he's physically lame but he was healed in his soul. You see, on the night before Jesus was betrayed, before he even broke the bread and took the cup, he did something that blew away his disciples. Do you know what he did? He took a towel, got up from the table, the place where he should have been served, by his disciples. And instead of, come serve the king, the king picked up a towel, put it around his waist. and He said, who can I show kindness to? And he began to go around and wash the feet of each of the disciples. And I love Peter, because when he got to Peter, Peter says, oh no, you're never gonna wash my feet, God. And Jesus says something interesting. You know what he said? unless you allow me to wash your feet, you can have no part of me. In other words, you want my healing? I need to wash you. You need to be cleansed. And Peter, when he got the revelation, he said, oh, then I don't just want you to wash my feet. I want you to wash all of me. I want to be filled with your healing power. I want to be filled with your love. I want to be filled with your peace. I want to be filled with your joy. Don't just... Wash me. Now this is a picture of a lot of us. We just dabbled with salvation. We've got enough Jesus to be saved and go into heaven, but not enough to be filled. Not enough to be cleansed and break the power of the past. Now watch this. Mephibosheth had to be carried to the table. There was no wheelchairs back then. The king said, go get him and bring him to the table somebody had to carry him and don't think for a minute when they went to pick him up to carry him to the king he didn't have a flashback from being five years old when he got picked up and he was rushed out and he fell and broke his legs there was something in it that took him back that i've got to heal that and the way we heal that is we're going to carry you to the table but before he made it to the feast Wait, wait, wait. Stop. Roll up his legs. We got to wash his feet. And I could just picture Mephibosheth sitting there. Every time that he came to the table, they would wash his feet and see his deformed legs. And I could just see him sitting there crying tears running down his face as his heart began to be healed every time they would wash his feet. Get a little bit more healing. I keep coming to the table. I'm broken, Lord. I keep coming to the table. I sinned again, but I keep coming to the table. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this weakness, but I'm coming to the table. I don't know how my marriage is going to be healed but I'm coming to the table. I know the doctor said I had cancer, but I'm coming to the table. I know that I'm just trying to get out of bankruptcy, but I'm coming to the table. I know that I had dreams for my life, and now those dreams are shattered, but I'm coming to the table. I'm disappointed, I've been hurt, I've been dropped, but I'm coming to the table. And every time I come to the table, I'm a little bit more healed. My Bible says in 1 Corinthians that as I behold him, as I look into the eyes of Jesus and I gaze into the eyes of love and acceptance, I'm healed little by little. I'm washed by the look of love, I'm washed by his words. How many of you as we come to communion You need God to wash you of something. You need him to heal you of something. We're gonna go into our time of communion. But after Jesus washed the disciples' feet, the Bible says that he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember me. Remember the sacrifice of love that when I was rejected, when I yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That I was forsaken so that you could be accepted, so that you can be invited to the table. My body broken for you. And then likewise, it says, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood. There's a new agreement between you and God that it's no longer based on you and your performance so you don't have to wear a mask to the table anymore you could come just as you are and my blood will cover every sin every weakness every disformity i'm going to cover it with my blood drink it and remember me but that blood that was shed on calvary wasn't just for the forgiveness of sin my bible says in isaiah 53 That by his stripes, we are healed. And I believe the Lord told me that there's some of you today that through communion and through praying with somebody, that today the power of shame is going to be broken off, some of you. Today, there's not only physical healing available to you through communion, but there's emotional healing available to you through what Jesus did on the cross. There are some of you, that healing needs to come from the forgiveness of sin. And you might be here today, you might've come with a friend, maybe you're watching online. You're saying, how do I experience that forgiveness? The Bible says that communion is for believers. They're those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day that you decide, I'm tired of trying to be fulfilled in this world. I've done that and I've come to church today and I am depleted, I feel empty, I feel drained, and I'm tired and I'm worn out, and I'm looking for acceptance. If that's you, Today's your day, and you can come with us, get baptized at the lake after. There's room for you. But before you take communion, I want you to pray with somebody. We're gonna have our prayer team up here, and here's what we're gonna do. I want you to just rest. The worship team's gonna lead us in a song of communion. And when you're ready, for those of you that need to do some business with God, just take a moment right now and come to the table before you come to the table. Talk to him.